got to eat lots of good food and all that stuff, and don't worry if you ate too much this morning or anything like that. I'm not going to preach on gluttony today because we, we'd all be at the altar this morning, right? No, but we got lots of stuff happening. I want to let you know a couple few announcements. I know we got several folks, several families missing today due to some sickness, and so if they're sick, we'd rather them stay home if you're sick. If you're healthy, come, all right? See how that works? Sick, home, good, here, all right? And then as soon as you're good, come back, all right? That's how we want it here. Um, we got lots in your bulletin, all right? We got the birthday insert there, as well as we got this. This has got to go in your refrigerator or your microwave or somewhere that you're going to see it all the time. I don't know what you look at. Maybe your Bible. I don't know. You might not see it that way. You've got to put it in the fridge. Somewhere you're going to see this thing a lot, all right? Uh, the week of Christmas is going to be very busy here, but a good kind of busy. So we've got several things. Sunday, December 19th, we're not going to have Sunday school. That's okay. Uh, then we're going to have our morning service at 1030. Wear your ugly Christmas sweater. If you don't have an ugly Christmas sweater, borrow your grandma's or your aunt's or somebody that you know has got one maybe. Make your own. I don't know. Um, yeah, but uh, bring that. We might have a little competition or contest. Either way, it'll be fun, um, and we might have some prizes for the ugliest sweater. If that's even a good thing, I don't know if you want to win that prize or not, but especially if you didn't show up with the ugly sweater we all thought it was. <laughs> Could be bad. So make sure you pick a real ugly one that you intended to. But uh, Then after the service, we're going to have a Christmas meal. All right, so church is going to provide a couple of things. I think we're going to provide some meat, some drinks, and some rolls. Everyone else, bring covered dish with food in it, side dishes, desserts, all that stuff, and we will have some fun and uh, some fellowship there. Then that evening, we will not have service here, but rather we're going to have um, uh, singing over at Commonwealth, all right? The service at Commonwealth is going to be at 6. You can meet here at 5.30. We'll get ready and load up in a van if you don't want to drive yourself down there, and uh, we'll head down there, and we're going to do some Christmas caroling at uh, Commonwealth Nursing Home, and I know they'll greatly appreciate that. Then Wednesday, the 22nd, all right, we will not be having a Tuesday service that week. It's going to be that Wednesday. So if you show up that Tuesday, enjoy the service all you want. We won't be here. But that Wednesday, we're going to have candlelight Christmas service, all right? And uh, so come for that. I promise you, you're not going to want to miss it. Um, it's, it's going to be, I don't know, it's going to be something, right? It's going to be good. Uh, we're going to have some special singing and a, a, a Christmas service that night. And afterwards, a cookie social. So you bring some cookies and we'll bring the social and we'll have a good time. All right. Sound good? Okay. All right. Stick down your refrigerator. All right. Enough with that one. Um, of course, our uh, wall builders prayer initiative is still going on. We've got plenty of dates in December. If you want to be a part of our prayer initiative, we would love for you to sign up. We've got room for you and, and need some, uh, some folks to sign up to dedicate some time. But God has answered many prayers so far over these few weeks of doing it. And I believe God's got great uh, things in store. Um, Saturday, December 11th, the young adults have an ugly Christmas sweater party um, at uh, Kaylin and Noah McMillan's house. There's a sign-up sheet in the back. If you've got uh, questions or details, see one of them. We also have Christmas cards for shut-ins. There is a list in the back um, somewhere, either inside the back of the sanctuary or in, it's in the lobby. All right, it's in the lobby. You'll find it. But there is a Christmas card list of all of our shut-ins. This year, what we want to do is be a special blessing to all of our shut-ins and be able to send them all Christmas cards so that way you know their name, their address, and just bombard them with Christmas cards, all right? So there are two, three of them a piece, all right? But uh, just we want to bless them this Christmas. And as well for our regular card ministry for, for needs and things, if you want to sign up, 
or have already signed up, please sign up again. We've got an official sign-up sheet in the back, and we do need you to have a cell phone that receives text messages for that. <sighs> Last announcement, y'all, I'm tired of this. All right, I've got to save some breath for preaching here. But uh, uh, tonight, we could use some help. To, after tonight's service, uh, we're going to have time for Christmas decorating. So some things got to get taken down off the walls, some, and then some big stuff's got to go up on the walls. And if you've got questions, please see... Miss, uh, Miss Hill, she's going to take care of it. She is Mrs. Claus, all right? She's going to take care of this whole thing. And it's going to look like Christmas in North Poland here before you know it. But in order for that to happen, we need the, the magic of some elves, all right? We need some extra hands, all right? We need a, a, so tonight, if you don't normally come to, to service, come to service. You might get a blessing, and then afterwards we can use you to, for some help. Many hands make light work, all right? So please come and help out with that. Um, that's all I got. That's, that's a whole lot. That's way more than one. Uh, yes, ma'am. All right. And there'll be some more decorating Monday morning. So I think tonight's the big heavy lifting. So guys, muscles and ladders and stuff tonight. And then I think the floofing and the making everything pretty is going to happen throughout the week. So if, if you're a floofer or you can make things pretty or you can lift things or if you've got a pulse, you can help out. So come tonight after service. And uh, we can find a place for you to work, all right? Amen. All right, well, let's pray this morning and ask God to help us to bless our service and to bless this time. And uh, then we're going to worship the Lord today. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. Lord, we thank you for each one that's here, grateful for another day of life that we can gather in your house and to worship you, Lord. I pray for your presence to be amongst us, Lord, that you would move through your spirit, through your word today, God, that our hearts would be changed. Lord, that right now, if we've got needs on our hearts or if we've got anxieties or, or anything that, that is just bothering us or weighing us down. I pray that today that we would lay that down at your feet. Lord, to know that you are God, that you're good, that you're faithful, that you're in control of all these things. And, and Lord, that today as we gather, Lord, that we are here uh, to, to worship you and to honor you and to glorify you. And Lord, as we sing, as we fellowship, as we as well hear your preaching of your word, God, I pray that you would uh, do great and mighty things and that you would be glorified in all things that happen today, Lord, that it would all be about you. Well, we love you, we thank you for this time, and we give it over to you now. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. Let's get our praise going in song. Turn to hymn number 786, Count Your Blessings. This is a time of year that we definitely need to do that, as we need to do it daily. But count your blessings. We have much to be thankful for. God hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 1.3. Please stand as we sing. Count your blessings. I need a mic. <laughs> when upon life's billows you are tempest-tossed, when you are discouraged thinking all is lost, Count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord hath done. Count your blessings, name them one by one, count your blessings, see what God hath done. Count your blessings, name them one your many blessings see what God had done so amid the conflict whether great or small 
discouraged, God is over all. Count your many blessings, angels will attend. Help and comfort give you to your journey's end. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God standing hymn number 170 give thanks the lord hath done great things for us whereof we are glad psalm 126 3 give thanks give thanks with a grateful heart give Seventy-four, Psalm 63, 4 says, Thus will I bless thee while I live. I will lift up my hands in thy name. I will bless thee, O Lord. I will bless thee, O Lord. I will bless thee, O said amen and before you sit down turn around wave greet everyone 
It's good to have everybody out today. We love each and every one of you, and God loves you. Amen. You may be seated. We have some special music now by Miss Cammy Bryant. If it's 
beautiful message, touching song. Well, bear with me in prayer, please, as we go to the Lord. And thank Him for all that He's done for us this year and every day. Let's pray. Our precious God and Heavenly Father, we thank You so much for all You do for us. Lord, most of all, for dying for us on the cross of Calvary and giving us Your mercy every day. We can't thank you enough for that. And we just thank you, Lord, Lord, for all your many blessings and daily benefits, all your many thoughts toward us, all your compassion and pity and blessings. We just can't thank you enough. We ask, Lord, you'd bless our service here today and bless our pastor, give him liberty and power from you, Lord, and in your word. And give him liberty and unction and clarity of thought and speech and boldness. We pray that in Jesus' name for your honor and your glory. Continue to bless in the singing and uh, the music. And may it please you and honor and glorify you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please stand as we sing hymn number 55. Uh, excuse me. Hymn number 791. Jesus. We just want to thank you. Got ahead of myself there. Second Corinthians nine fifteen says, Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. Jesus, we just want to thank you. Jesus, we just want to thank you. Jesus, we just want Pastor, a big hand, make him feel welcome as he comes and steps on our toes. Amen. God bless you. Appreciate you guys. Well, this morning, ages four to six, can be dismissed for Children's Church. Ages four to six, can be dismissed for Children's Church. We got folks right this way. I'll lead you right on through. 
ages four to six, children's church. Anybody? Any takers? Maybe. Oh, hey, there you go. <laughs> all right. Rest of you guys are stuck here. All right. <laughs> Take your Bibles and turn with me to Nehemiah chapter number eight this morning. Nehemiah chapter number eight. Today's going to be the conclusion of our Nehemiah Wall Builders program, or really series, I guess, as we've been dealing with. And we're continuing our initiative throughout uh, the end of this year as we've been praying uh, consistently and fervently and urgently for our church, for our families, for, for our future, and for what, what, what that looks like. And I want you to know, as you and I both know this, that, that often when we look at our church and we look at the state of the world, we look at our nation, things can seem very bleak. You and I would say that we're in need of revival. We would say that we're in need of rebuilding, and we certainly absolutely positively are, literally from the ground up. We're not just talking about Washington, D.C. We're talking about this church. We're talking about your heart and your home that constantly needs the reviving work of the Holy Spirit of God through the Word of God. Our churches, our homes, Hearts need rebuilding and revival. We've been talking about that, and we've seen through the book of Nehemiah so far, as we've done like a 30,000-foot overview of this book over the past few weeks, we've seen that the pattern that Nehemiah had in his day that was to pray and to plan, that the people participated, and they persevered, and now today that they praised. Today, we're going to focus on what it means to praise God as God is building and doing the work of rebuilding and revival in the church. To praise God. I want you to know that what has happened so far this morning has been praise. But what's about to happen right now should still be praise. I want you to know that when the preacher comes to preach, I'm not preaching for you. I'm not preaching for me. I'm preaching for God. I preach what he wants, what he desires, what, what he says, not what you want, what you desire, or what you say. And nor do I get to do what I want, what I desire, what I say. Because if that were the case, then a brother here wouldn't be saying, we'll step on somebody's toes, right? If toes get stepped on, it's going to be from these big old feet and my big old feet to get stepped on too. So I'm right there with you, all right? So we're, we're there together. When we look at this, and, and to be honest with you, this series has been a difficult one. It has not been an easy one to preach, but I believe that God has been moving and working through it. And I want you to see that this great work that God is doing, this good work that God is doing in rebuilding our lives, rebuilding our hearts, rebuilding this church and reviving us. And I believe that revival is very much on the way. I want to give you something what, what Hudson Taylor, the pioneer missionary for China, said. Very quotable missionary, by the way. He says, there are three stages in every great work of God. First, it is impossible. Then, it is difficult. Then, it is done. I want you to know that for the life of Nehemiah and the life of this church, your own personal life and your home and in your heart, Right now, rebuilding and revival might seem impossible. It, it, it might seem like it can't happen or it won't happen. I want you to know, it's not going to happen because you do anything different or I do anything different or anything like that. It's going to be because God sends it. It's going to be because God rebuilds. It's going to be because God sends revival. It, it is the absolute work of God. But as we move forward in this work and we see God's hand upon us, and I believe firmly, like Nehemiah, that God's hand is upon us, it's going to go from impossible to difficult. It's going to get hard. It's going to get bumpy. It's going to get messy. It's not going to be easy. But when it's done, it's done. And I want you to know this, though, the work of God and your life and my life will not be done until we reach heaven's shores. Until then, do not think that we've arrived. Let's not grow complacent. 
let's not get to the place like Israel had before the walls got built and just go, well, this seems to be pretty good enough. No, let's keep pressing forward. Keep marching forward. Keep standing our ground. And keep doing what God would have us to do. Today, I want to begin by reading verses 5-12 through 12 today. A familiar passage, and it's going to be just a portion as we're going through uh, chapter 8 and 9 specifically today a little bit. Uh, verse number 5 tells us, and this is, it says, And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, with lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Verse number 7, And uh, Jeshua and Bani and Sherebiah and Jamin and Akub and Shabbatiah and Hajibah and Masiah and Kalida and Azariah and Josbad and Hanan and Peliah and the Levites caused the, the people to understand the law. And the people stood in their place. So they read in the book of the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. And Nehemiah, which is the Tirashath, which is really the governor, and Ezra, the priest, the scribe, and the Levites, and taught the people and said unto all the people, This day is holy unto the Lord your God. Mourn not, nor weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Then he said unto them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink the sweet, and send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto our Lord. Neither be ye sorry, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites stilled all the people, saying, Hold your peace, for the day is holy. Neither be ye grieved. And all the people went their way to eat, to drink, and to send portions, and to make great mirth, because they had understood the words that were declared unto them. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you this time. God, I thank you for the worship that has been lifted this morning, the song sung. God, I thank you for the, the reading of your word. And Lord, for every heart that is here today, God, I pray that as now uh, your word is open and preached, I pray, God, that you would help my heart and my mind to be focused. Uh, Lord, that you would fill me and allow me to preach boldly and accurately, passionately according to your word. God, I pray that we, your people, would have not just ears to hear, but, but hearts that would hear and receive your word. And Lord, that lives would be changed today, and God, that you would do a great work through your word, through your spirit, that only you can do. We lift up this time and give it over to you now. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> I want to begin by looking today in several phases over the next two chapters in a few different spots that we're going to look at, the importance of what it means to praise God in the midst of all this great work. I want you to know that as God is rebuilding the, as God has already rebuilt the walls here, look at the, the context of this whole passage over in chapter 6, verse 15. It took 52 days and the walls were rebuilt. The, the whole big reason why Nehemiah had come, but Nehemiah came for more than a reason to just slap up some walls. Right? The people could have done that. And matter of fact, they should have done it years ago, but they hadn't done it. They had faced opposition. The things went from impossible to difficult and they got set back and they got complacent. They got weary and they did not keep rebuilding like they should have. Then in chapter 7, the genealogy of the people is given and we see all these children, all these people who have come, and many of which were the same ones to help be a part of rebuilding. And then we come to chapter 8, and, and revival, and the spiritual rebuilding is about to take place. It is a great thing to have a great building. It is a great thing to have the walls built up for Jerusalem. It's great that they've got the temple, even though it doesn't look as pretty as the last one did. But if they don't have hearts spiritually that are turned to the Lord, then none of it will matter. 
If the great need of Nehemiah's day was not just that the physical walls were, were down and were burned with fire, but it's that the spiritual walls were the same. And spiritually today, I would say that we find our nation in the same state. We find most of our churches and our most of our own hearts today in that same state that need rebuilding, that need revival. And I'd be honest enough to say this morning that I need revival. That there's days that I need some, some holes in my walls uh, filled up and, and rebuilt. And that's a work that only God can do through His Word. And that's why we're here today. The spiritual rebuilding. See, physical and physically rebuilding something, it, it takes far less time than to rebuild something spiritually. It, it, it's painstaking. It is difficult. It is gradual. It is prayerful to build back spiritual things. If you want your thumb to grow, first I'd say go back in time, be a kid, and let it naturally grow. Right? Can't do that. But if you want it to swell and get real big real quick, take a hammer, right? And once you just close your eyes and give it one good whack, right? Yeah, it's not going to feel good. But your thumb's going to get real big, though. I want you to know, though, the sad reality is that what we have done with many of our churches today is we have whacked it with a hammer. We have swelled up, and we've appeared to have grown, but that's not growth. And what Nehemiah was looking to do was not to come in and to whack spiritually with a hammer. He wasn't looking for this sort of, hey, let's grow real quick and call it growth, or let's swell up and call it growth. Really, what you swell up with is pain, infection, disease, right? All the wrong stuff. Real growth takes time. Now in 52 days, because they worked together and they saw the need and they were praying and Nehemiah had planned and they had been praying for months and months over this. And that God in 52 days allowed them, but all the opposition we observed last week, to, to still rebuild those walls. However, there was a greater work at hand than what those walls were. You, you would think after 52 days, the wall gets rebuilt. Nehemiah goes back to his job as the cupbearer, but no, there's much more to be done. What happens is that spiritually God had been doing a work for those 52 days while the people built brick after brick. Every time that they're, uh, they're throwing a, a hammer or they're, they're beating stuff and carrying stuff and pushing stuff and laying stuff up and, and all of these things, that God is doing the same thing in their hearts. God is rebuilding, reforming reviving their hearts and the people get to the place where not only did they say build the wall but they say bring the word and that's what they needed more than even the wall the wall was great and the wall would keep out physical enemies but they still had spiritual enemies the world the flesh and the devil that was seeking to destroy them seeking to discourage them and divide them and bring them into depression to bring them in such a place where they would accomplish nothing for the glory of god that's where many of us find ourselves at today. However, great the wall may be rebuilt. Unless their hearts are rebuilt, then none of it matters. Unless spiritual revival takes place, it does not matter how high the walls are. It doesn't matter how beautiful the temple is. Unless hearts get changed and turned back to God, none of it matters. I would tell you this today, and this would bother some folks, and that's okay, God cares much more about your heart and the heart of those in this community than He does how tall our grass gets or even what color carpet we got. He cares about souls. Therefore, we should too. Never do we find a spot where God was like, hey, I want the brick to look like this and I want it to be this color. 
Nehemiah, I want you to look at this sort of paint, and I want you to put up this sort of tapestry and carpet in the, in the area. No, he doesn't say those things. Why? Because what God is doing is greater than building walls physically. He's building and rebuilding their hearts. And that's what we need. God desires, and I want you to know this today, God desires to rebuild and revive your heart. If you're in need today, if your heart is broken, if your heart is, is searching, if your heart is seeking something, God is there. And He desires to rebuild you. He desires to revive you, to give you that spark of life. He desires to help you, to build up what has been spiritually broken. God cares for you. And the way in which He does this is the same way that it's always been done. It's been through preaching. It's been through the preaching and the proclamation of the Word of God. What we need is not less Bible in our churches or less Bible in our homes. We need more. We need more Bible. More Bible and more Bible. We should be walking Bibles in this world. And when we come to this, the people in verse number 1 of of chapter 8, they they cry out to Ezra as as a whole group, bring the book. They wanted the Bible preached. And that's what Ezra comes to do. And it says in verse 5 that he opened it up. And all the people stood up in this response. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered with a response. And and verse 8 tells us exactly what took place. So they read in the book and the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. Meaning this, it means that the word of God was not just simply read, but it was preached and exposited. It exegeted, it expounded, it was declared. Here is what God has said in his law. Here is what that means. Here is what you must do about that. Our preaching and and listening to preaching, it must make this sort of three things. We need context. <clears throat> we know <clears throat> what's God doing in this passage. What's God doing in the surrounding scripture? We need the content. What does this mean and why does it mean it? And we need the connection. This is our application. You can hear every word preached behind this pulpit, every single service, and still be just as lost or still be just as unchanged, still be just as unrevived, still be just as unrebuilt. You have physical ears today and can hear what I say, but unless you have a spiritual heart with ears that are open, then none of it will matter. You and I far too long and far too often hear what God has to say, not just from preaching, but from song and from reading the Word of God ourselves, and we just try to get through it, right? I want you to know that God puts His Word right up there. As a matter of fact, that the preaching of the Word from the very beginning to the very end of time has been the way in which God has brought about revival and rebuilding of God's people. And the Word of God had then that day been precisely and concisely and properly preached to these people. And I believe as Ezra's doing it verse by verse and precept upon precept, line upon line, chapter by chapter, book by book, I believe that's how we know the Bible even more so. And we need preaching we need the bible because this is what's going to change our hearts preaching by the way and knowing the scripture knowing doctrine knowing what you believe and why you believe it you know what that is it's praiseworthy it gives god glory it praises god i want you to know that what i'm doing up here today is not just to try to step on toes or to try to get you to do some sort of moral turnaround because that's not what i'm here to do I'm here to tell you this is what God says, therefore this is what we must do. Because in that, it praises God. 
There is nothing more praising of God or or glorifying of God than proclaiming what He has said and then obeying what He has said. That's the key. That's the key that I can't do for anyone out here today. I can preach what the Bible says. I can tell you what God says. But unless we hear with our hearts today and are changed by it, then all we've done is sit through a service. We need much more. And I want to tell you this, that if you truly know Christ, then you will truly hear His Word preached and you will truly praise Him and be affected by the preaching of the Word of God. It should bring about a change in our hearts, not because the preacher like Ezra or myself or any other preacher for that matter manipulates with emotions or or altar calls or, or actions or outward things, but rather we're changed because the Holy Spirit of God through the Word of God, has changed us. Now this service that they had that day was from morning until noonday, to to midday. They're preaching and exposing the Scriptures for six hours, and the people are changed immensely by it, as they should be. The response of the people is that absolute revival breaks out. Revival brings praise. It's not just this sort of ecstatic or wild sort of thing. Rather, it is structured because it's done by the Spirit of God. Look what happens. The people stand up. And the people, as Ezra blesses the Lord God, the great God, that's praise and preaching. That's what preaching should do. It should be lifting up God, lifting up His Word, and lifting up the people to God and to His Word. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen. Amen? You see, these folks... They didn't care what other people thought because they were all together in one place for one sole purpose, and that was the Word of God. It was to give praise to God because He has given us His Word. It was to give praise to God because He has come to us and revealed Himself to us so that we might know Him and not just have a list of rules and regulations because that's not what the Bible's about. The Bible's about you and I coming to faith in Christ alone that God Himself would come to the unrighteous, would love the unlovable, and would pay the price for our sins, that he who knew no sin would become sin so that you and I might be made the righteousness of God in him. It's so that Jesus would die and would die on the cross for our sins, would be buried and raised to life, to offer eternal life, to offer forgiveness to all who would repent and believe. That's praiseworthy. And look at their worship that they bring. They say, Amen, Amen, and they lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord. You know what happens when preaching takes place? Worship should take place. It is not for me to come up here and to get through a sermon. It's not for you to try to just sit through this unbearable preacher preaching. No. It's not about what I can try to do. It's not about emotions. It's not about feelings. It's about This is what God says, and if I truly believe what God says, and I truly believe God and trust and know God, then my heart should be changed by it. Not because the preacher's any good, but because God is good. Because to be quite honest, it don't matter who preaches the Word of God. If they're not this sort of great orator, or great at illustrations, or outlining, or any of those things, if God speaks, and by the way, when the Bible is opened and preached, God speaks. That's when He speaks. If you want to hear God speak, read your Bible. If you want to hear it audibly, read it out loud. That's God talking. And it should move us. It should change us. It should bring about revival every time. They repented. The true repentance. Look at this. It says 
He, he gives the sense, and then he tells them, mourn not and weep. He says, for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. They hear that they're sinful. They hear about the words of the law that had been lost for ages. They had heard about who God is and what God has done for them, and they were reminded once again that God is worthy of praise. That God did not just desire that their walls would be built, but that their hearts would be encouraged, that their hearts would be convicted, that their hearts would be rebuilt and revived. True repentance, true revival, true rebuilding will always produce true joy in the Lord. Look at what happens in verse 10. He says, quit your weeping. Quit your crying. Rejoice. He says, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. That's what preaching should do. That's what praise should do. That's what the work of God does is it reminds us and gives us that joy afresh and anew. And that's how we gather here. This is our fueling station to keep going through the week. This is our, our spiritual gas station that fuels us up and sends us going. That we gather to scatter. We gather to keep going for God outside of these walls. See, we look and we see that the joy of the Lord is our strength. He reminds them don't be so mourning and so distraught, but rather praise God. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. It was the joy of the Lord that was their strength to get them through 50 days of, of hard labor and rebuilding the opposition. It was the joy of the Lord that was their strength that came as, as their enemy opposed them. It was the joy of the Lord that was their strength that has brought them to a place of revival and repentance. Real repentance doesn't just produce remorse like we often think. Real, repent, real repentance does more than just produce remorse. It produces rejoicing. It is one thing, there's a difference between repentance and just feeling sorry for yourself. Feeling sorry for yourself just keeps you feeling sorry for yourself. Real repentance goes, woe is me, I'm a sinner, but look, there's the cross and look how good God is. And then it brings what? Joy, which is strength. It brings rejoicing, and that's exactly what our churches should be. That's what our hearts should be. That's what our hearts should have. That's what our hearts should express. To praise the Lord for what He has done. Praise the Lord for who He is. Praise God for that He's brought me to a place of conviction even. Or He's brought me up to a place of repentance. But He doesn't leave me in remorse. Rather, He brings me to rejoice in Him. Second, over in chapter 9, verses 1-3, through three, there is praising and the piety. We have lost the art of holiness. And it should be absolutely everything in our life. There are those who look at the Puritans in their day, and truly there's those who look at all sorts of Christians in every day and age, the past 2,000 years, and say, oh, they just took that stuff too seriously. I, I want you to know, there is no taking the Bible, the Word of God, too seriously. There is no taking sin too seriously. There is no taking Christ too seriously. There is no taking uh, what God has given, what God declares too seriously. We need to take it serious. We need this personal piety that changes our lives, but it is not to be moralism that can be lived out by man's strength, but rather from a true repentant, a true heart that knows God. <clears throat> Verses 1-3 through three of chapter 9 tells us this. Now on the 24th day of the month, the children of Israel were assembled with fasting and with sackcloths and earth upon them, or literally dirt. And the seed of Israel separated themselves from all strangers and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. 
And they stood up in their place and read the book of the law of their God. One fourth part of the day and another fourth part they confessed and worshiped the Lord their God. Here, piety and holiness is not something that is for old fogies or old timers or old time religion or for fuddy duddies. Real revival brings real repentance, which brings real rejoicing, but also brings about this sort of, of real resurgence of holiness. Every time that there has been a revival in our nation's history, or, or really every other, as you study revivals throughout, it has always produced a people that were absolutely urgent to seek the things of God. They were fervent in, in praying for holiness. They were absolutely pious in everything they did, seeking to be more pure before God, seeking to know God more. The reason why you're here today should be to know God more. Not to check mark something off a list and certainly not even to go and see how good you are uh, compared to somebody else. Rather, the reason why we're here is to know God more so that when we leave here, we make Him known more to a lost and a dying world. The preaching, the Word of God, produces this sort of piety. The Word of God is what brings about this revival, and revival brings a renewal of this personal piety. Look at their, their repentance. Look at their contrite hearts here. They are fasting. That means they ain't eating. This means that they're literally taking time away from the things of this world to, to meet and to gather and to get a hold of God. And nearly, I would say, nearly every revival that has ever happened is because the people have separated themselves from the world to try to, to get a hold of God. They have had prayer initiatives. They've met together to pray together, to cry together, to confess together. And that's what takes place here. It says with sackcloths and, and the dirt, the earth upon them that shows their humility, they separate themselves from all strangers. The idea of strangers for the Jew was those who were Gentiles, which surrounded their, their group, surrounded them in their walls. And it says, and they stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. These contrite hearts then are confessing hearts. They confess their sin before God, just as Nehemiah did over in chapter 1. Nehemiah was serving in Persia as the cupbearer of the king. Gets word that the walls are down and things aren't good. And the first prayer he prays is, God, forgive us. We have sinned. Our fathers have sinned. The greatest prayer that you and I of the church of God today of 2021 could probably pray would be, God, help us. We have sinned. If the church of God lived like the church of God, I do not believe we would have such promotion or an idolatry of sin that we have in our nation. I do not think that we would have such little personal holiness, but we do. I don't believe that we would have the same sort of dropout rate as we have now in churches, but we do. I believe much of it is because we are the ones who have gone astray and we have yet to truly stop and confess our sins before God. See, repentance does not stop just because the wall got built. Revival and the work of God does not stop because the wall got built. Rather, it continues on. And really, the real work is at hand. Rebuilding and revival here also do not care about a time or a schedule. Look at what happens in verse number 3. They stood up in their place and read in the book of the law of the Lord their God one fourth part of the day and another fourth part they confessed and worshiped the Lord their God. In the Jewish timeline, this is what this looks like. They got three hours of preaching and three hours of praising. You want to talk about a worship service. That's a worship service, isn't it? 
I mean, that's what we look at and we go, man, they didn't meet at 11 o'clock and get out by 12 to go to Shoney's and get some fried chicken. What were they doing? They weren't doing church right. Oh, but they were doing church right. Because what was happening was they were there to meet with God and God met with them. They cared about two things and two things only because these two things matter when the people of God gather. That is the Word of God and the worship of God. That's what it's about. That's why they can handle three hours of preaching and they want three hours of preaching. That's why they can handle three hours of praising God and singing to Him and confessing their sin before Him. Because He's worthy. One commentator writes, God will never plant the seed of His life upon the soil of a hard, unbroken spirit. He will only plant that seed where the conviction of His Spirit has brought brokenness, where the soil has been watered with the tears of repentance as well as with the tears of joy. I'm afraid that far too often our tears are all but dried up. We don't care near enough about God and His work and His Word and the praise of God, the preaching of God, or or our own personal holiness, and we just have no tears for it because it doesn't really matter to us as much as it should. But boy, did it matter to these folks on that day. They were changed by the Word of God, and I want you to know that not only was there their praising and the preaching and in this piety, but there was praising and prayer. You and I have begun this prayer initiative in praying for our church and praying for families and lost souls in our community and all these things. And, and God has been answering prayer left and right, and it's been marvelous. And we still have more need of prayer and still need more folks to pray. And we should be doing this together. But once you know, as we're praying, I want you to pause and to praise God in that prayer. How many of you are like me sometimes where our prayer looks like this? God, I sure would like to have this and this and this. And while you're at it, Lord, it sure would be good if you took care of this too. And and maybe that over there, and oh yeah, take care of so-and-so stuff and all this. In Jesus' name, amen, right? And not one time in our prayer have we stopped and thanked God for a single thing. Not, not one time in our prayer that we're praying, not just in this initiative, but in our day-to-day prayer. I mean, some of our prayer lives, we might pray three times a day, but it's God, thank you for breakfast, thank you for lunch, and thank you for dinner, amen. Right? It's not much of a prayer life, is it? There's not much praise happening in that prayer. All God knows is, well, they sure do like the food I give them. Amen for that, I guess. But they've got nothing else to be thankful for? Got nothing else to praise God for? How about as God is answering these things, as God is rebuilding our walls, as God is rebuilding and reviving our hearts, how about we pause and we praise Him? And when we hear about a, uh, something that God has done or a prayer that has been answered, God, I just want to stop and thank you. Thank you for answering that prayer. Why? Because it reminds us of a couple things. One, that God is always worthy of our worship and praise, and two, that God is always at work and answering our prayers. He may not answer them in our time. He might, may not even answer them in the way in which we want, but He will answer. Our God cares for us. Our God desires. Look at this. Over in chapter 9, I'm not going to read the whole chapter for sake of time today. You guys are kick me out of here. Ezra got to do it, but I don't think I'm quite as lucky today. Here in Nehemiah 9, what happens is it's believed that Ezra delivers this prayer. And it's a beautiful prayer. I encourage you to read the whole chapter. <coughs> Here what happens, though, is there are several times in this prayer, all throughout that I want to point out, that God is honored, that God is glorified. Here, in verse number 8. Matter of fact, let me back up to verse number 6. Uh, 5. <laughs> yeah. 
Stand up and bless the Lord your God forever and ever. Blessed be thy glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. What a prayer that is already. If the prayer stopped and the chapter was over, that's already a better prayer than what most of us have prayed today, let alone in the past week. He says in verse 6, Thou, even thou, art Lord alone. That means He's ruling. He's reigning. He's not just God. He's the sovereign God, the sovereign King who deserves worship, who is ever at work amongst and in His people and for His people. He says in verse number 7, Thou art the Lord, the God. There is no other. There is none else worthy of praise. There is none else who has given us His Word, let alone given us His Son, so that we might know Him, so that we might be forgiven, so that we might have relationship with Him, so that we might have revival, so that we might have rebuilding. Verse number 8. He says, and at the end of verse number 8, And hast performed thy words, for thou art righteous. Then over in verse 17. But thou art a God ready to pardon, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, and forsookest them not. What is happening in this prayer is that throughout the history of Israel, uh, that uh, all of humanity, God has shown Himself to be gracious, merciful, and faithful, and then He's retelling the history of Israel. And how they're looking back in this prayer and going, God, here's what You've done. Here's how gracious and merciful and faithful You've been to us. And here's how terrible we've been. God, you still remain the same. You've still been good. And we're going to praise you for it. And they praise him and they look back. I want you to know, you and I are not meant to look back, to stare back. We look to glance. We glance at our rear view to go, man, look at what God's done. Look at where God's taken me. Now we keep moving forward. We keep pressing forward. And as they are seeking to move forward, they are glancing back in this prayer to see who God is and what God has done. And look at the beauty of verse 17. Today, if this is for you that you don't know God, if you're unsure of salvation, even if you're just struggling in your walk, know this, that He is a God ready to pardon. He is a God who is gracious and merciful. He is a God who is slow to anger. He is a God who is of great kindness and will not forsake His people. Then over in verse 19, in verse 19, it says that they had done many things against Him. He says, but yet thou and thou Thy manifold mercies forsookest them not in the wilderness. Though we remain unfaithful, God always remains faithful. And He will see you today if you would come. He would redeem you. He would forgive you. He would pardon you. He would help you. He would strengthen you. He would give you all that you need today spiritually if you would but come to Him. Then we move forward over in verse 31. This prayer goes all the way through here. By the way, it doesn't take that long to read Nehemiah 9. I encourage you to do so. He says in verse 31, after giving all this long list of things that they have done against God throughout their history, he says, Nevertheless, for thy great mercy's sake, thou didst not utterly consume them, nor forsake them, for thou art a gracious and merciful God. Now therefore, our God, the great, the mighty, and the terrible God, who keepeth covenant and mercy, let not all the trouble seem little before thee, that hath come upon us, on our kings, on our princes, and on our priests, and on our prophets, and on our fathers, and on all the people since the time of the king of Assyria unto this day. Howbeit thou art just in all that is brought upon us, for thou hast done right, but we have done wickedly. 
What a mighty prayer this is. It recognizes who we are as sinners and who God is as the Savior. It recognizes all that we have done to be unfaithful against God, but all that God has done to be faithful to us. It shows how ungracious and unmerciful and unkind we are, but how gracious and merciful and kind God is to us. That's a prayer worthy to be prayed. And lastly, today, there is praise and a promise that the people make. In chapter 10, verse 39, what happens in the whole chapter of chapter 10 is really at, at the end of chapter 9, they come to this place and they say, we're going to come back. The God is working in our hearts and our lives, and now we're coming back to Him. Our covenant-keeping God, we need to be His covenant-keeping people. Covenant is a promise. They, they're coming back and returning to the Lord, and they're going to say, God, we will hold up our end of the bargain. You see, real revival and and real repentance and, and all of these things, a real rebuilding of God's people spiritually, it's going to bring us back to the place where we continue to say yes to God. The end of verse 39, chapter 10 tells us, this is the people, mind you, and their covenant to God. Say, and we will not forsake the house of our God. The people have been rebuilt. Revival has swept the hearts and the homes of the people. Revival has brought them back to the Word and the covenant of God. And they are returning now back to their promise to say, God, it is about you and you alone. Many local churches have church covenants, promises, things like that, about what it means to be a church member, what it means to all that stuff. I would love to see, though, at some point in time that you and I, those individuals, would truly get a hold of what it means to worship and to serve the promise-keeping God. We love it when God keeps His end of the bargain, which He always does, doesn't He? But we never have too much of an issue when we don't keep ours. We don't have too much of a problem when others don't keep theirs. Or even, if anything, we have too much of a problem when others don't keep theirs, and we don't. We're very quick for that one. But here the people, after the walls have been rebuilt, after the homes and the Hearts have been rebuilt and revived by God. The people now are not just rebuilt, but they are recommitted. What an altar call this sort of statement is. That we will not forsake the house of our God. This must be the response of our hearts today. It is to say, to say that I'm not going and we're not going to forsake the house of our God. It means not just I'm going to come to church when I can. It's not even about that. What it means is, in everything that I do, in all that I am, I will praise, honor, and glorify God. Not myself, not one another, not the preacher, not the leadership, not even the church sign, but the God who all of this belongs to. The God who has bought us with His blood. As we bring this whole series to a close and try to wrap it up and put a bow on it. I want to ask you this. Have you forsaken the house of the Lord God? Right now you would say, well, preacher, you're looking at me. I'm here, so duh, no. And I would say, let's look further than if we're here, not physically. Let's look a little deeper and see if we're spiritually here. Let, let's look a little bit deeper and see if our hearts truly care. Let's look a little bit deeper and see 
if our hearts sang with gusto and with hearts that are full and prepared to worship God. Let's go a little bit deeper and see if we gave uh, today out, out of joy and not obligation. Let's see today if, if we are uh, forsaking the Lord's house by not contributing with our gifts and our talents. That we're not giving our whole heart to Him as we should. That we're not really committed the way we used to be. Well, things are different now. Well, things are always different now. Today is not yesterday. And yesterday is not the day before that. But today, right now, we have heard the Word of God. We have seen God move throughout the book of Nehemiah. We've been praying for a couple of weeks, and we've got another four more weeks at least to, to keep praying. And I encourage you to keep praying. But if we desire to see God rebuild and, and remove the idols of our hearts and, and to revive our hearts and to, to reclaim our homes, reclaim our kids and grandkids for the, for the glory of God, it's going to start with our hearts. That we would pray, we would plan and see what God's plan is for us, that we would participate in the work of God, that we would persevere through the opposition that comes against us, and that we would praise God in this good work that God is doing in this local church and in this local community and in your personal life. I want you to know that God in this church and in your heart today should be rebuilding and reviving. That's who He is. That's what He does. That's what He desires to do for you today. We are called to faithfully pray, preach, and to praise God, and to see God rebuild and, and revive our hearts. Let me ask you today, will we continue in our own personal hearts to forsake not just the house of God, but the heart of God? Will we continue to be okay with half-hearted worship? Will we continue to be okay with half-hearted giving? Will we continue to be okay with half-hearted service? Half-hearted attitudes that we've got better things to do? Will we continue to be okay as the walls of our hearts and church and community are burned down and broken down? Will we continue to be okay as our kids and our grandkids go further and further from knowing God? and get closer and closer to a godless hell? Will we continue to be okay with just being okay? Will we continue to be okay with just barely getting by? Will we continue to be okay with just hanging on? Will we continue to be okay with the same old, same old? I want us, I want myself, to be willing to be ready to say, as the people had said just chapters ago, Lord, let us rise up and build together this good work. My call and my prayer every Sunday and, and especially throughout this series is one, God help us, we need revival. God help us, we need you to move. God help us, we need you to rebuild our hearts. God help us, we need you to send revival. God, help us. We need your hand today. God, help us. We need your glory today. But truly, as we come to this place and this time, as we bring all this to a close, I wonder what your heart says. 
would your heart say to the Word that has been presented? What would your heart say as we look around and we see what church has been through, we see what your family has been through, we see what your heart has gone through? Do we want the same old thing? Do we want just what it used to be like? Or do we want the greater things of what God has in store? Just waiting up ahead as we keep pressing forward. I don't know what tomorrow looks like. I don't know what next year looks like. I don't know what 10 years from now looks like in this nation, let alone this church, but I do know that God is in it. I do know that God is here. That God desires to use every single soul that is in this place today for the glory and kingdom of God. Church, there is a community outside these walls that knows about Jesus but doesn't know Him. That, that knows that they make mistakes but doesn't know that their sin will lead to hell. There is a community that is broken down that has lots of good things happening but, but spiritually speaking needs revival. And I would say let's look around at ourselves today and they would be much the same. May God move in our hearts today. May God move us to see this good work. That not just pretty walls would be built, but that our hearts would be rebuilt. That our hearts and our homes would be restored. That we would be revived by the Word of God, the work of God, and the Spirit of God. Today, let's stand. And as we bring this to a close today, if you have a need, this altar is open. If you want to pray for your church, pray for your pastor, pray for your the people, pray for your kids, pray for your grandkids, pray for this community, to pray for your own heart that is struggling in need. This altar is open today. And we see God work in us and through us. Would you come today? May we not forsake His house.
Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for this day, for the worship lifted today, the encouragement and the conviction given to hearts today through your word. Pray, God, that you continue to do a great and mighty work in and through your people. We love you. We thank you. We praise you now. In Jesus' name, amen. Pick up for me a little bit. I've done this 25 years without a mic. I can't remember to hold this thing, okay? <laughs> Y'all pray for me. Uh, bless the Lord. Hymn number 55. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Psalm 103 1. Straight from God's word, word for word. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me, bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me, bless His